we're going to be uh, in Romans chapter number 5. We'll actually be looking at several passages of Scripture, but Romans chapter number 5, verse number 12 will be the main text verse that we will use uh, today. And so you can go ahead and turn there. As you're turning there, I do want to mention to you that uh, as we're coming towards Easter, we're a few weeks away from Easter. As we come towards Easter, uh, Easter service will look a little different uh, uh, than it has in the past. I believe that it'll look tremendously better than last year because last uh, Easter I was here by myself and so it'll be tremendously better than last Easter but just because of uh, continued concerns uh, we're not going to be doing the breakfast uh, that we normally do. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to return to that soon, but we're just going to hold off on that uh, this year. Uh, and because we're not doing a breakfast, it makes the sunrise service kind of difficult. You have the Normally we have a sunrise service, an early service at 8, then we follow that with breakfast, then we come back up for a second service uh, at around 10.30. Uh, but in, just because of not being able to do the breakfast, what we're going to do this year is we're going to have a single service on Easter Sunday that will start at... At 10.30. And I've talked to many of you about having specials ready. Uh, so if you have got, if I've talked to you about having a special ready, make sure you're practicing that and getting that ready. Uh, if I have missed someone uh, who would like to sing uh, Easter Sunday and you're like, hey, I didn't get asked, let me know and we'll try to fit you in if we can. Uh, but we've got several folks that are supposed to be singing specials and have some special music. Uh, uh, we'll have some scripture reading uh, to go along with that and then we'll have a message and so it'll just be a one service that start at 10.30, probably go till 12, maybe a little after, so it'll be one longer service, uh, and then we will not have an evening service. So that'll be our plan for Easter. Uh, so be looking forward to it. Uh, be preparing your heart and getting ready for that. And in thinking of Easter, uh, we're going to be starting a series uh, that I've titled From Creation to Calvary. And we're going to be looking each Sunday at stepping from the beginning of creation to Calvary. Now, whenever you think about the thought from creation to Calvary, uh, on Wednesday nights we've been looking at creation. And when you look at creation, as we'll look just a little bit here in a moment, God created a perfect world. He created a perfect environment. He created sinless man. And when you read the beginning of the Word of God, you might have this question, why was Calvary necessary? You may have this question, if the world is perfect, if man is sinless, why did Calvary become necessary? And so what we'll be doing over the next three or four weeks is we are going to be looking at this subject of from creation to Calvary. How come was Calvary needed? What things were put in place uh, to bring Calvary about? This morning we're going to be looking at the thought uh, of the problem of sin, the problem of sin. Uh, we'll be looking at why mankind is in need of salvation. But as we go through this series, uh, next week, uh, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the plan of redemption. On Palm Sunday, we'll be looking at the person of Jesus Christ. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll be looking at the provision of Calvary. And so we're just going to take this journey uh, from creation to Calvary. Uh, this morning, though, we're going to look at where it all started. We're going to look at the reason we need redemption. We're going to look at the reason that God sent a Savior. We're going to look at the reason that salvation is offered, the problem 
of sin. And that's where we'll be starting this morning. Now, I've told you to turn to Romans chapter number 5. Hold your finger there in Romans chapter number 5 and turn back to the book of Genesis chapter number 1. And we're going to read a couple of verses in the book of Genesis and lead us up to reading our text verse in the book of Romans. And then we'll get started into the message this morning. There in the book of Genesis, chapter number 1, and in verse number 1, a very familiar passage of Scripture that many of us could probably quote, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you drop down to the last verse of chapter number, thir- chapter number 1, verse number 31, the Bible says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Now turn your Bible over to chapter number 3 of the book of Genesis, chapter number 3, and look at verse number 13. Now you remember in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In verse number 31, and behold, it was very good. Chapter number 3 and verse number 13, we read these words, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? What is this that thou hast done? Drop down to verse number 22. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man. and He placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way the tree of life. We see here very quickly in the first three chapters of Genesis a a progression. We see God creating a perfect world. We see God stating that it was very good. We see man making a decision and because of that decision he is driven out of the garden that God had made for him. Now turn over to Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 12. There in Romans 5 and verse number 12 we read a summary of what we've just read in the book of Genesis. The Bible says there in verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Here in these passages we see a perfect uh, creation. We see the sin uh, of mankind. We see an immediate uh, individual repercussion uh, and we see an extended global uh, effect that sin had uh, on the entire world and on all uh, of mankind. When God created the heaven and the earth, uh, as I said a moment ago, He created a sinless uh, environment. He created a perfect uh, environment. But this perfection uh, was short-lived. This perfection did not last long because man chose to pursue his own self-will. He chose to pursue his own fleshly desires instead of living in obedience to God. And because of this decision, the relationship that God had established between him and man was broken and the need for restoration was established. This morning I want to take a few moments and examine the subject of our our sinfulness and hopefully by doing so it will help us understand the reason that all of mankind, every man, woman, boy and girl 
All of mankind needs salvation. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the service already. Lord, I thank you for the Sunday school hour. I thank you, dear Lord, for each person that has came to service. I thank you for each person that is watching online. I thank you, dear Lord, for the singing, Lord, the choir uh, singing, Lord, the special music, the congregational singing. I thank you, dear Lord, for the fellowship and uh, being able to interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I am thankful for the family of God. I am thankful that you have made us a part uh, of the church uh, of the living God and Lord, it is good to be in your house. And now, Father, as we come to looking into your word, and Father, we begin to look at this journey from creation to Calvary. Lord, as we come towards the day that we celebrate your death and resurrection, Lord, as we look into your word at, Father, why man is in need of salvation, and Lord, we look at how you have provided this way of salvation. Lord, I pray, Lord, that it will clarify our minds, and Father, Lord, that we will understand, uh, Lord, what it is that you have done for us. But Father, even more than that, Lord, I pray that you will take this message uh, and the following messages, and Lord, that you will use these, uh, Lord, to open the eyes of anyone, uh, Lord, who may be listening, uh, Father, Lord, that does not know you as Savior. Lord, that you will uh, help them see the reason uh, and the importance, uh, uh, Lord, of accepting you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you will help me. Uh, uh, Lord, I'm an unworthy servant, but Father, your word is perfect. Help me, Father, Lord, to deliver your word in a way that will be clear and will be understandable. And, Father, Lord, will bring conviction and challenge and encouragement to our hearts, Father, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to be in your house. Bless us now this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, whenever we think about the subject of sin, there is much that can be said about the subject of sin. Matter of fact, I believe that weeks could be spent doing an extensive subject, an extensive study of all that comprises the subject of sin. But for today's message, I want our focus to be on the foundational elements that apply directly to mankind and his need of salvation. So with that in mind, the first thing that I want to consider as we consider the subject of man's sinfulness uh, is the origin of man's sin, where it all began, where it all started. If we look at our text verse there in Romans 5 and verse number 12, uh, the Bible says there, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Now we know that sin in and of itself uh, started, it began when Lucifer lifted up in pride, exalted himself, and rebelled against the God of heaven. And of course, as a result, uh, uh, he was demoted from his angelic position. Uh, he was expelled out of the presence of God. And he became who we know uh, as Satan uh, and the devil. And he began uh, to live uh, his life uh, trying to oppose the works of God. He became the enemy of God and anything that has to do with God. And that is where sin began. But this morning, I'm not necessarily looking at the sin of Lucifer, but instead, I am more concerned about where sin began for mankind. Where did sin begin in light of man? What is the origin of man's sin? Man was created sinless. Man was placed in a perfect environment and in that environment they had everything necessary to live a satisfied and fulfilled life. 
even including a daily relationship with their creator. They had everything that they needed, everything that they could desire. There was nothing that they needed outside of what God had provided. Let me just interject here that the situation that they lived in, although it was a perfect world and in many ways much better than the world that we live in today, whenever we are born into this world, God provides us with everything we need to live a fulfilled and satisfied life if we seek that satisfaction and fulfillment in Him. They were living there in the garden. They had everything necessary to live a satisfied and fulfilled life. But when God designed man, God put inside of man a free will. He put inside the man the ability to think independently. He put inside man the ability to make decisions based upon his own reasoning and upon his own rationale. And so man has this ability to decide what he will do and what he won't do. God wanted to create a creature who would love him of their own free will and their own volition. And so in order to create this creature, the creature also had to to have the capacity of being able to reject their creator. So God put within man a free will, the ability to think independently, the ability to make decisions on his own. And in the garden was a choice, a single choice, a single tree that they were told not to partake of. There were two significant trees in the garden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and there was the tree of life. The tree of life was readily available and of far more value than the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was forbidden, it attracted their attention far more than what was available. You know what, there are many times that people go through life pursuing the forbidden and reaping the consequences of pursuing the forbidden when some things that are far greater and of far more benefit are readily and freely available God created man with this free will and in the garden was a choice. And although the choice was represented by a tree, the choice was truly this, obey God or disobey in a quest to satisfy my personal desires. The sin was represented by a tree that they couldn't touch, but the real real thing that was at stake here was will you obey God or will you disobey God because you want to satisfy something within yourself. You know, many people who do not accept God, it's not because they're a vile sinner. It's not because they have a ton of wickedness in their life. It's not because that they want to live vile and ungodly, but they don't accept God because they don't want to give someone else the control of their life. They don't want someone else having rule over their life. They don't want to feel like they have to obey someone else. They reject God simply because they want to maintain their independence. There in the garden was a tree. 
And the question was, will you obey God and trust that I've provided everything you need? Or will you disobey me in order to satisfy your personal desire? We all know the story. It's a tragic story. It's probably the most tragic story in the entire Word of God because this story changed the course of man for all time. Eve listened to the serpent who was indwelt by Satan. And Satan, by appealing to her natural desires for pleasure, for understanding, for satisfaction, he effectively tempted her to disregard what God had said in exchange for what the devil promised was superior to what God was offering. You know what? The devil has never, ever changed his tactics. It looks like we would wise up to him after a while because he has never, ever changed his tactics. Every temptation that he brings at man, he will start with natural desires. He will start with natural inclinations and he will invite us to step outside of the natural bounds of those natural inclinations and he will promise us something that is superior to what God has offered And for centuries, uh, as we look back through history, uh, people have fallen prey to the devil's tricks. Uh, They have decided to try what it is that the devil offers. Uh, They've decided that they're going to give in to it. uh, And they've never, ever, ever received anything superior to what God offers. Uh, And they have always reaped the consequences uh, of deciding to disobey God rather than follow God. And yet the devil still successfully keeps people from accepting Christ day in and day out using those same tactics over and over and over again. Eve listened to the serpent. And Eve, after listening to the serpent of her own will and volition, took of the fruit. It's important that we realize that the devil did not force Eve to take the fruit. He simply presented it to her. And I'm telling you what, this world is full of forbidden fruit that the devil is going to present to to you. He cannot force you to take it, but he will present it to you. And he'll present it to you in hopes that you will make the choice to reach out and take it. But it doesn't matter how good of a job he does in presenting it to you. If you reach out your hand and you take it and you partake of it, you are the one that is guilty for your decision. Eve of her own will and volition reached out and she took the fruit uh, and she ate the fruit. Then she gave the fruit to her husband Adam who was with her. There's so much that could be said about that but that doesn't, isn't in this message. She gave the fruit to Adam, her husband that was with her and Adam also made the choice to disobey God for his personal satisfaction. Because of their choice, the practice and pattern of sin was once and for all introduced into the perfect world that God had created. Whenever we look at this world that God created, it's a beautiful world that we live in. I truly believe the Shenandoah Valley is the most beautiful place on earth. Don't tell my West Virginia friends that. I mean, Shenandoah Valley is the most beautiful place on earth. But even as we look at this beautiful world that God has given us, 
all over the place. We can see scars. We can see damages. We can see disease. Uh, we can see things that are that are dying. We can see things uh, uh, that aren't what they ought to be. Uh, we can see briars and thorns and brambles. We can see all types of marks uh, of these things. We can look at mankind uh, and we can see disease. Uh, we can see death. Uh, and all of these things are the result of sin coming into a perfect world. When sin came into the world, when Eve took of the fruit, a door was opened that began to deteriorate the perfection that God had created. Adam and Eve, in making this choice, they represented the entire human race. And their choice resulted in repercussions that it still affect mankind to this day and will continue to affect mankind until the end of time. In Romans 5 and verse number 12, we see the inclusive penalty of sin. The inclusive penalty of sin. We saw there at the beginning of the verse, it said, Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world. But look at the next phrase. And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. In Genesis 2.17, God had warned that death would be the penalty for disobedience. In Genesis 2.17, the Lord told Adam, He said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God had said the penalty for disobeying me is death. The penalty for choosing to seek your own self-satisfaction is death. The penalty for choosing to pursue what you want rather than enjoying what I have provided is death. Adam, this is serious business. Adam, I'm doing everything in my power to encourage you not to disobey me. Adam, I've given you a free will because I want you to make the choice to love me. But I have to give you a choice to reject me. But Adam, I'm telling you, if you reject me, it is serious business. This is not a small thing. You will pay the penalty. Please, Adam, don't reject me. There's a tree here because I want you to have a choice, but I'm putting a very, very big penalty on disobeying me in doing my best to encourage you to follow me. Adam, to take of the fruit is death. You will die if you take of that fruit. In Romans chapter number 5, verse number 12, we see... That is by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. Adam took of the fruit and something that did not exist in the world prior to this entered the world and every year we attend multiple funerals where people have come to the end of their life and passed on and death exists because of man's sin. This verse speaks of both physical death and Spiritual death. We see that just as God had warned when man broke the law of God, the penalty of death was passed upon the entire human race. You know what? Just as Adam's sin affected his descendants, we can make an application to us today. Our sin, our personal individual sin, can and will have long-lasting negative effects on our descendants. Matter of fact, there are entire nations 
Kale was asking me about this the other day. There are entire nations where generation after generation after generation has passed into eternity without God because somewhere along the line, their ancestors decided to reject God. And generations of people have died without God because their ancestors said, we reject the living God. They created their own religion. They began to worship false gods. They taught their descendants so. And entire nations are spending eternity burning in hell because their ancestors decided to reject God. Whenever we speak of the all-inclusive effect of Adam's sin on the entire human race, sometimes the question of fairness can be raised. How is it fair? How can God be fair that he would send me to hell based on Adam's mistake? That question can be raised, and some have raised that question. Some have accused God of being unjust for penalizing them because of what Adam done. But the justification of the righteousness of God in passing this judgment is also found in our text verse in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, where in the last phrase we also see man's individual propensity to sin. In Romans 5.12 it says, And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You say, how can God be fair? How can God be just? How can God be righteous in condemning the entire human race because of something that Adam did? Here is how he is just. Here is how he is righteous. When Adam and Eve committed the sin, they represented the entire human race. They allowed sin to come into God's perfect environment. They brought death into the world by their sin. And so by Adam and Eve representing the entire human race, they brought death into the world. But God said, I am just in passing this on all of man mankind because all of mankind has chosen to reject me. All of mankind has chosen to go their own way. All of mankind has failed to maintain the righteousness of my law. All of mankind has rejected me. All of mankind is condemned both as a result of Adam's failure and because of every individual's tendency to disobey God in pursuit of their own self-satisfaction. The entire human race became condemned as sinners through the failure of our father Adam. But every individual has condemned themselves when they made their own decision to rebel against the righteousness of God. This can be seen very small to very large. Whenever a small child, little Emma here, I think she's the sweetest thing in the world right now. I mean, she's just a da, except Miss Mama T. Um, a little Emma here, in a few months, hopefully a couple years, but it won't be long, she will figure out that if she's not honest with her mom and dad, it gets her out of trouble. Now, do I think she's guilty of sin at that point? In a In a technical sense, yes. But in a, in a spiritual sense, I don't think so. But you give her another year or so and she will understand that God says it's wrong to be dishonest with mom and dad. 
She understands that this is what God says. And yet she makes the choice to be dishonest with mom and dad for her own selfish benefit. She has decided to rebel against the righteousness of God and at that point she will become accountable to God for her decisions. It starts early and it goes all through life. You say, I'm not a bad sinner, Pastor John. I don't do anything wicked or vile. I don't want to live an ungodly life. I'm a moral person, yes. But do you decide to rebel against God's righteousness in any area for your own selfish benefit? If you do, you're condemned. And all of mankind are guilty of this. The penalty of death was passed upon all men because the Bible says in Romans 5.12, all have sinned. Every man and woman has fallen short of the righteousness of God. There is no person who is able to attain to the righteousness of God. Mankind was created for the purpose of glorifying God. That is why we were created. He is the creator. He designed us. He owns us. He created us for the purpose of glorifying Him. And yet unsaved men and women continually deny their duty to glorify God and instead seek to gratify their own self-centered priorities and desires. To turn from your created purpose of glorifying God is to fall short of the righteousness required of God. God is the creator, God is the ruler of all, and God will be the judge of every man. He created us, He established His law for us, and our eternity will be determined by our response to His law. In Romans 6.23, we find that those who disobey His law and reject His love will receive eternal judgment for their choices. Turn your Bibles over a couple pages to Romans chapter number 6. Verse number 23, a familiar verse. Here in Romans 6, 23, we see the eternal judgment of sin. I'm sorry, sweetie, I didn't mean it. <laughs> Romans 6, 23, we see the eternal judgment of sin. In Romans 6, 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. Now this goes right along with what we've looked at so far, but it brings to light the fact that the reason you'll die eternally is because of your rejection of God. This verse speaks of both physical and eternal death. Physical death which was passed upon the entire human race as a result of sin entering a previously perfect world, but it also speaks of eternal death to those who persist in rejecting God rather than yielding to and receiving His love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap 
reap life everlasting. In James 1, in verse number 15, the Bible says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In Revelation chapter 21, in verse number 8, the Bible says, But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those who reject God and continue in sin are guaranteed that they will receive eternal judgment for their decision to reject God. But man doesn't have to face this judgment. Man doesn't have to go this way. Adam and Eve could have chosen to not touch the tree and they would have been able to live forever. Man is still offered a way to escape this judgment. In the remainder of Romans 6.23, we find the only escape from sin. In Romans 6.23, it says, But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe those are some of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible. We are condemned. We are sinful. We have rejected God. And if we don't change, if we don't change what we're doing, we are condemned to eternal judgment. But the Bible says in the last part of this verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those who are willing to turn from self and turn to God will find forgiveness and the original relationship that God intended when He created man will be restored. Someone said, do you think that there's a possibility that you are wrong about the existence of God? And the answer was given, no, I don't believe there's a possibility that I'm wrong. They said, how could it be that you are so confident that God exists? The answer was given, because I talked to Him daily. He communes with me daily. I listen to His Word. He blesses me for living for Him. I'm not talking about some immaterial object that in a figment of my imagination I imagine exists. I'm talking about something that I know without a shadow of a doubt it exists because I have a relationship with it. If you were to ask me if I believed that my wife existed, I would tell you absolutely I believe that my wife exists because I know her. I interact with her. I have a relationship with her. You could never cause me to doubt it. And the same is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. He created me for a relationship with Him. And I said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am condemned. I know that I am destined for an eternity in hell. But Lord, I want to give myself to You. I want to stop rejecting You. I want to live my life for You. And He restored the relationship that He originally created me for. And I am able to interact with my Savior on a daily basis. We see here that God restores the relationship. The penalty for sin is revoked and the repentant sinner will receive the gift of living eternally. What was originally intended. We are all sinners. Brother Terry made the comment that he was still just an alcoholic 
but for the grace of God. We're all sinners, but for the grace of God. God intervened. God made a change. God made a difference. And that which used to control us no longer controls us. That which used to motivate us no longer motivates us. That which we used to long for and look for and strive for is no longer of any interest. And instead our eyes are fixed on Christ. He has turned us around. He has changed our direction. He has made a new creature out of us. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short. We are all condemned but God in His mercy provided a way of salvation. We have been extended an offer to restore our relationship with God. But it's up to us to accept this gift of salvation. Lord willing, next week we'll be looking at this plan of redemption. We'll be looking at how God instituted a plan to redeem sinful man. And we'll be looking at many aspects of the plan of redemption. But this morning, I want to ask you this simple question. Have you accepted the gift of salvation? Have you turned from self and turned to God? Have you quit living for seeking your own desires and said, I want to give my life to God. Has there been a time that you accepted Him? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you made that decision? Say, Lord, I'm going to turn from myself and I'm going to turn to you. In Revelation 3.20, the Bible says, the Lord speaking, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. In other words, I want to have a relationship with every human being. I stand at the door and knock. If any man, any man, doesn't matter who, doesn't matter where, doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Revelation twenty two seventeen, the Bible says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Friends, this morning salvation has been provided. Redemption and restoration are available. There is a problem. God created a perfect world but it didn't last long. And man chose to disobey God. And a curse came over the entire world because man chose to disobey God. But God said, I've provided a way for you to escape the curse and the penalty of sin. And that is to simply accept me. And if you will simply accept me and put your trust in me and believe in me, I will give you eternal life. Redemption and restoration are available. The ability to escape the penalty of sin has been offered. All you must do is accept what Jesus is offering to you. I'm going to ask everyone to stand there where you are.
This pianist comes to, to the piano. This message this morning is definitely meant to encourage the heart of the Christian as we remember and reflect on what God has provided for us and what God has given to us. But the primary point of this message is to make those who have never accepted Christ aware of the importance of accepting their Savior. This morning as the pianist plays, if you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, I beg you, stop rejecting Him. Stop turning your back on Him. Stop questioning Him. He is your Creator. He created you to glorify Him. And He longs to have a relationship with you. He doesn't want to send you to hell. He doesn't want you to burn for all of eternity. He doesn't want that for you. But if you choose to disobey Him, it is the penalty. He stands with open arms saying, Come. He stands at your door and knocks and says, Will you let me in? I want a relationship with you. Will you please not reject me? There's a problem. There's a sin problem. It divides me and you. But I want to be restored. He's begging you. I'm begging you. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I ask you to come and say, Lord, I give my life to you. No longer do I live my, for myself, but forever I will live for you. And you will never, ever, ever regret that decision. Don't harden your heart against God. He loves you. He loves you with a love you'll never understand. He loves you deeper than you'll ever be loved by any person on earth. Don't turn your back on Him. If the Lord spoke to your heart, you come.